0: Hi, my name is Andy Chamberlain and this is the Creative Writer's Toolbelt, the podcast that gives you advice and insight that you can apply straight away to your own writing. You can find out more at my website, andrewjchamberlain.com, where you'll also find information about the Creative Writer's Toolbelt Handbook, which condenses all of the very best advice and insight from my expert guests and me in one place. I hope you enjoy this episode of the Creative Writer's Toolbelt and that it's helpful to you on your writing journey. And welcome to episode 114 of the Creative Writers Tool Belt. This episode is a conversation with Laurie Puma. Now, Laurie is a StoryGrid certified developmental editor. So that basically means that she helps writers turn half-finished manuscripts into publishable page-turning books. And in this episode, Laurie talks with me about why stories matter and what we as writers should do about that. We discuss the way in which StoryGrid can actually help authors and we reflect on the way in which personal tragedy can inform both our lives and our stories. So what's happening with me? Well I am recording this at the beginning of March 2018 and at the end of the month over Easter I will be at FollyCon, the British Science Fiction Association's Easter conference and I'm looking forward to that very much. Do let me know if you're going to be there as well. Later this year I'll be speaking at the Equipped to Write conference in Dundee in Scotland that'll be on Saturday the 28th of July where I will be joined by the novelist, broadcaster, and speaker Wendy H Jones and together we will be giving you the tools that you need to really get to work on your novel including digging into the detail of story structure, showing you how to write that killer first line, exploring the light and dark side of writing and showing you how you can energise your writing with some practical tips that you can apply straight away. So the cost of that day, including refreshments and lunch, is going to be just £40. And as a podcast listener, you can get another 25% discount on that price by just adding the voucher code E2WNI when you book. That's the letter E, the number 2, and then the letters WNI. And that'll mean you could come along for the whole day, including refreshments and lunch, for just £30. If you're interested, you can book via my website, andrewjchamberlain.com. Or you can just drop me a line. It's andrew at andrewjchamberlain.com. So here's my conversation with Laurie Puma. I hope you enjoy. It. So Laurie, welcome to the Creative Writer's Tour Belt.
1: Thank you, Andy. I am really excited to be here.
0: And it's great to have you on. And I'm going to start with a question. I ask the t- same kind of question to, to everybody. Um, if you think back in your own personal history to when you were growing up as a child, what were the influences? What were the cultural influences on you? Perhaps books, films, TV, other things. What were the things that, that, that formed you as you grew up?
1: Definitely a lot of American television, I would say. Um, (laughs) I grew up in a house where the TV was never off.
0: (laughs) Mm. Okay.
1: So, yeah, and I don't think that my parents watched True Crime when I was really small. But most of what I remember is um, Law and Order and (laughs) True Crime. And then my mom had a thing for Lifetime movies.
0: Okay. So quite a lot of <laughs> quite a lot of detective and police procedural sounds like that was going on in there as
1: yeah, well. Yeah. Yeah. So that was definitely sort of in my world and I wasn't a super big fan of it. Okay. So um, I, as a kid, sort of went the other way and read like lots of classic literature. Okay. <laughs> um, so I, well, I started out, I, I had a couple of phases. Like I had a Stephen King phase where I read pretty much everything he had available when I was about 12 and what else did I read? The, the, the Babysitter's Club? I don't know if the Babysitter's Club made it to the United <laughs> Kingdom. <laughs> and by the time I became a teenager, I just, I read those so quickly and so voraciously that like, or the bookstore that where I got these books was about a half hour drive away from where we lived. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I could have purchased a new book and been pretty much finished with it by the time we got home. <laughs> <laughs> My mom started getting mad because I she, she just couldn't keep up with me. And this was long before the internet. So it, yes. like getting new books was, was quite difficult. So sure. that's when I started switching over to reading things that were more like classic literature, because those at least like lasted me a couple of days.
0: And was there anything particular from the kind of classic literature canon was there anything that particularly influenced you
1: you know I don't know in terms of like anything. I, I mean, I had a couple of favorites. Um, so I read War and Peace as wow. like a 15-year-old and I <laughs> loved it. <laughs> like I just loved it. <laughs> I thought it was fantastic.
0: Wow. Couldn't have read that in a half an hour car journey, could you?
1: No, no, no. <laughs> that one probably took me a week or two. Yeah. But I mean, I I read, I read a lot. I read Tolkien and yeah. um, I was a fan of David Eddings who right oh yes yes fantasy yeah but i mean i read all kinds of stuff another favorite was um catch 22 joseph heller yeah so i continue to like all kinds of stories Mm.
0: it sounds like quite a kind of eclectic mix of Of stuff that you're picking up you weren't just in one genre when you were were reading these things
1: so by the the time i got into my teenage years i was really kind of a snob but not in the sense that like you know oh that genre isn't good enough i I just wanted whatever i was reading to be the best at like what it was trying to be yes
0: now that's interesting do you or how have you carried that into your work now your kind of approach to your profession now
1: so I mean that still continues to drive like how I choose what I read and what movies I see like I want to see things that get really good reviews <laughs> and <laughs> <laughs> you know I want to read the masterworks of genre fiction and yes. um yeah so that's sort of like what I choose to consider consume and then also that's what I hope to do for my clients is to okay. help them move closer and closer to writing those books that that last a really long time because yeah. they're
0: great okay you talk a little bit I think on your website about the importance of influencing people and, and how stories can influence people So what do you think you've learned about the importance of stories and the way they can influence people
1: well, I would love to start answering this question by taking it <laughs> long before I learned about stories. Huh? So I would like to, I, what I would like to do is get, tell you a story.
0: Yeah, please do. So, yeah, yeah.
1: So when I was, so one of the other things that was going on when I was young, when I wasn't, wasn't reading classical literature, <laughs> is that I really wanted to change people's behavior. Okay. And as a kid, I really wanted to change my parents' behavior. So my dad smoked cigarettes, which I hated and I still really don't like. And I wanted him to quit. And so I wrote a report for him when I was in fourth or fifth grade that, you know, taught that just cataloged all of the dangers of smoking. And I gave it to him and we had a conversation and he like, you know, got a little teared up when I was giving it to him because... Like, I just, I just wanted him to stop so he would, you know, so that he would be around for, for me. And I also didn't like the smell.
0: Okay. And uh, what happened? And
1: <laughs> and so, as you might guess, that didn't work. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I thought at that time that, like, the reason that it didn't work was that I didn't give him the right information. Right. And so, like, I went off, I I ended up getting two graduate degrees in science trying to find the, the kind of information that would change people. And when I got to the end of those degrees, I was like, wait a minute. We have tons of information about like all of these things about what influences health and we just we just don't know how to use it. Mm. So I started wondering, like, what is it that we really need to do to actually change people And so then I went on another little journey where I like worked at a nonprofit and I was thought, you know, like nonprofits or or charity organizations, like they are actually changing people's lives. And Mm. so they must know something about like what this is. And a lot of their work is like much more like one-on-one work Okay. And that definitely works in terms of influencing people. Like, there's, there's lots of com- complexity, and some of it is listening to their stories. And some of it is just, frankly, just showing up every day and helping people do what they mm. need to have done. So the nonprofit stuff definitely worked. What I discovered when I was working for them is that that was not the work that I was meant to do. Sure. And the nonprofits always had a problem about money. They were always chasing after money. Like I ended up being on furlough for a couple of months because um, the organization I was working for just didn't have money to pay me, even though they had plenty of work for me to do.
0: Yeah. I have a couple of questions I want to just follow up with you on that. You mentioned in what you were saying there about listening to people's stories. As writers, why should we listen to people's stories? And what are the benefits of listening to stories in terms of the kind of stories that we tell ourselves?
1: The Biggest benefit of listening to other people's stories as writers is that stories are how we learn about the world. Mm. And so if you spend a lot of your time listening to other people tell their stories, you're just going to be able to write worlds and characters that have a much broader range of experience.
0: Mm tapping into the real experiences of other people and and just listen and lis- listening and understanding the real things that that happen with them.
1: Yeah. And like, what drives them? Like, that's really the big thing. Like, we had talked that we are going to touch on my experience with nonviolent communication. And so nonviolent communication is something that was created by Marshall Rosenberg. Mm -hmm. And he was studying um, comparative religions. And what he tried to do was create a system of communicating that would basically take like all of the best things from all of the different religions to help people learn how to be more empathetic pathetic.
0: Okay. So can you give us one or two examples of the kinds of things that he was advocating then?
1: Yeah, so the entire system is based on the idea that everyone does what they do because they're trying to meet a human need. Like a basic it could be a basic need of survival, mm-hmm. it could be a need like love or belonging, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. or it could be something like accomplishment and recognition. But we're always trying to meet one of those particular needs. And the reason that humans end up in conflict with each other is that our strategies for meeting those needs, they aren't always the, the, the strategies that are most likely to result in our needs being met.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it occurred to me as you were talking about that, when you were talking about how nonviolent communication examines the way in which people sometimes don't communicate in quite the right way to achieve their objective. That reminded me of what you'd said about talking to your dad and creating this report, actually. And yes, I'm, I'm sure there yes. wasn't violence at all involved in that, but but <laughs> um there was that kind of at that stage in your life, I guess you were thinking, if I present the facts, it will change yes. people's minds and it will change their actions. Yes. Whereas now yeah. obviously your thinking on that is more nuanced and more is now different. <laughs> Yes. I guess.
1: Well, th- what any person that teaches um, selling or marketing will tell you is that we as humans make our decisions based on emotions and we rationalize later. Mm. So there's like that aspect to it. And then, you know, when you're dealing with something like cigarette smoking, like that is a habit.
0: Yes. And yeah.
1: th- that is not something that changes on- in the blink of an eye.
0: So we've, you've talked about this nonviolent communication system. Are there are there things that you've learned, particularly in the context of helping writers or creating stories, from learning about nonviolent communication? What can what can we learn as writers?
1: I use my nonviolent communication stuff all the time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, there's a couple of ways that I use it. One way is that what you do when you practice is you spend a lot of time trying to understand what's really motivating a person. Like what is the need that they are trying to meet? And so I use it directly on writers. Sometimes writers will submit stuff to me that has like a lot of over-explaining in it. Mm -hmm. And I have Mm -hmm. to determine, are they writing more explanation than is necessary because they don't know how to do less or because they're afraid of the reader not getting it? Or is oh, okay. it like a confidence thing? So I use it directly in working with writers to try and find like, where is it that they have things that should be brought to their awareness mm, mm. is one way. Okay. So the next way that I use the NVC is yeah. with helping people try and create realistic characters.
0: Ah, okay. and yeah.
1: the more that you know, about your own self and about, you know, like we don't want characters that are perfect and empathize with everyone and, um, you know, never have anything go wrong and never come into conflict. And so the more that we recognize the ways that we create conflict for ourselves and the ways that we kind of hide our feelings from ourselves, the mm. more that we can do that, the better that we are at putting those same kinds of coping mechanisms onto the page. At the core of it, every one of us is, is motivated by one of these needs. And mm. the more mm. that we can dig in and figure out what those are, the better chance we have of making those connections Hmm. across groups and generations
0: so those core motivational needs and you've mentioned some of them i suppose those are the need to survive and is it is it almost like that kind of hierarchy of needs that that you can learn about in psychology that yes that, that kind of i need i need food i need clothing i need shelter and i need company and and then i need purpose and all of that kind of stuff
1: yeah, and I, I nonviolent communication doesn't create them in a hierarchy so much because over the course of human civilization, lots of humans have survived near famine. Mm. And mm. one of the things I think that gets people through is when they have meaning in their lives, when mm. they have loved yeah. ones in yes. their lives. Yes. And so it's not where i think the maslow and his hierarchy go a little astray is by saying you need to have one before the other they're they're all in there
0: ah uh, okay um now you've said that stories matter uh, and and you've given examples of how you've you've learned that from experience can you can you kind of sum up just on a very general level what things that you've learned about the power of stories over the years
1: yeah so, we are hardwired for stories. And while my early efforts to educate <laughs> with data and numbers were very noble, they were not effective. And part of that is just because like we our physiology does not d- does not line up for that. Um, so like stories are in a unit they come in a packet that we can remember and like that in and of itself is really powerful if you can give people something that they can remember then there's a lot better chance that they will use the information that you give them when it comes you know when they come to a difficult spot
0: Mm. and what is it that you think makes stories memorable then what what are the key things in a story that make it say that make it survive for hundreds or thousands of years while other stories are forgotten?
1: There's a couple of things, and I would say the primary one is that it's really clear what's at stake in the story.
0: Mm. Okay.
1: And it gives I don't want to say, well, I'm going to say they give a moral lesson, that's not the perfect language for it, but they they tell us something, they they tell us some sort of lesson. Mm. Stories are basically our way of experiencing parts of the world that either we don't want to risk, or that mm, okay. are somewhat unusual.
0: You mentioned earlier on about how stories do matter, and as writers, we know that we know that, that stories matter. But um, one of the ways in which I think stories can matter is that they help us to process what happens in life uh, and to find keep us steady or help us to be resilient when difficult things happen. So um can you tell us a little bit about what you think the dynamic is about w- with that? How do stories help us? process what's happening in life and and deal with it and cope with it.
1: Yeah. So sort of stories in some sense are our ways of learning about parts of the world that we hopefully never have to experience, but Mm. we just wanna we wanna know how we would act because it it gives us great comfort to have less uncertainty. Yes.
0: yes, (laughs) And so
1: when we like stories because they tell us, okay, well that's one option. I could act that way. And then when we are the person that has, you know, something tragic happen, stories are also a part of our own processing. Right. So, um, I actually dated someone who it turned out, um, was terminally ill. This man's name was Evan. And when we started dating, he had a cough But it was – the doctors were certain that it was nothing and that they could fix it and things got progressively and progressively worse and um, it turned out that actually it was lung cancer and they could not fix it.
0: Right. Okay.
1: And so – after he died, I was 33 at the time okay. when he died. So, you know, not an age where you're expecting that to happen. No. And, no, no. you know, I was really, really lost. And I mean, it was. It was just so devastating. Yeah. And actually, I should say, one of the things that was really upsetting about it was that nobody wanted to talk to me about Evan. Like, I didn't want to have him disappear because he was a person that had had just had an enormous impact on my life Mm. and Mm. changed it for the better. Mm. And so, like... I really wanted to talk about him, but people were terrified of me, especially my peers in terms of age. Like, I actually had someone physically back up when I went to shake their hand (laughs) because it was a situation where it had come out that I had just lost someone and their response to it was to put actual physical distance in between us. Yeah. And so I was just kind of isolated in some way. I mean, I had very close friends that yeah. took very good care of me, yeah. but it took me out of normal life in a way that I've i never returned to life <laughs> the way that it was. No. And so what I did is I started writing a blog because okay. I had all these stories about how, you know, Evan had kind of changed my way of thinking about the world and um, just given me some experiences that I didn't know that I was missing.
0: So the in this blog, then you were telling stories about the things that you'd learnt with him is that is that right
1: yeah, I was just Like, basically telling stories about, like, why he mattered to me and funny things that happened and sort of, like, why I loved him so much.
0: And do you think that one of the reasons you you wrote the blog was as a kind of cathartic process for you, just to help you process how how you were feeling? I
1: don't know that it was so much that, as I just didn't want to forget him. And I didn't want to forget the specifics, because being a scientist, um, I knew that memories change over time and so it was very likely that they would fade and I wouldn't remember the specifics and so I wanted to write them down so that I'd have them forever. Mm. I didn't really think of the blog as like I was writing, you know, a book or something like that. I just was recording to the best of my ability the stories about this person that was very dear to me. And I will sure. say that something that I learned that I think is really valuable to writers is I never promoted the blog in really any way other than um just sharing to my Facebook feed yeah, and by the end, I had like a hundred friends that would regularly read read my stuff mm. tons of them that tons of people that were just like acquaintances that I didn't know very well sure. have come up to me later and told me how touched they were by my sharing of my story and mm. how being real. Yeah. And that was just like, really? Huh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> in a way, it doesn't surprise me if I'm honest, because I think people find what that which is real very attractive. Um, yeah. And there's there's something in that I think for writers. I, I think that's the lesson there, is it that actually we love real things. We love a real experience and a real process i suppose
1: yeah and i have to say so there were a couple of blog posts that i wrote that i've i've gone back and and looked at now and so there are some that didn't work as well and some of them i look at them and i just put my hand over my heart and i'm just like oh sweetheart you are really in a lot of pain and maybe you shouldn't have written this particular (laughs) blog post (laughs) um so i do think there's something about like this The posts that I wrote that were most successful, they were real, but I had also come to a point where like I had learned something and I was able to put that something into words. So you can't just show somebody a character or yourself, you know, being in total pain and total uncertainty because we as humans really don't like that. (laughs) You know, we back away from people that are, we feel like they're, when they're in process, but when- you've come to the other side that's when people are like oh my gosh you've been through this and you survived and that's a much much easier message for us to take in
0: I think that's a that's a really fascinating point actually
1: yeah and I don't think what you've learned has to be correct it just has to be like something that people can see why you would you would Mm. conclude that based Mm. on your experience
0: so people have seen you go through a story of sorts. You've learned yes. you know, that, that your, the end of your story arc is the lesson as it applies to you. You know, it, it, it doesn't have to be completely objectively true for everybody. But you, for you, that's the end of the, the end of that little particular story because you've learned something. Mm-hmm. Okay. I want to just come now to some of the things that you do now and some of the, your professional work now. And you're in the business of helping writers. And one of the things that you talk about specifically on your website is helping writers to finish their Novels, so I wondered uh, if you could just comment on why you think it's, a, it's such a problem for for novelists to finish something. It, it, there must be a lot of people out there who've got they've got a work in progress. They've kind of got halfway through or whatever they've done, but they haven't been able to finish. So what, what what do you think is going on there?
1: I think there's kind of three things that are generally going on that. Um, I don't know that this is an exhausted list, but what I've seen amongst people that have come to me so far is – so, one, is they're not clear on what it is that they want to say, and that means they don't really know what what the moral lesson is of their story or, like, kind of – how their character is going to change from beginning to end. So that can cause a lot of problems in terms of they don't really know what story they're telling. So then they like maybe kind of rearrange things and mm. it just never mm. seems to come out right. So that's one option. Okay. And that can lead to not finishing Another one is that they they do know what they want to say, but they don't know how to execute. So oh, okay. they write stuff and it doesn't live up to their dreams of, they were like envisioning Harry Potter and what they've got. They're like, this definitely doesn't have the power of that. And so they kind of, that can be another way that people get stuck. And then the third way that I see amongst people that comes to me is that they're great at some parts, but they might not see how good they are. Are and they really <laughs> struggle with doubt and mm. wondering, like, is this thing good enough? Maybe I shouldn't be doing this. And so that can just look like people procrastinating or yeah, a whole yeah. myriad of things.
0: Yeah. If you sense that somebody doesn't really know what they're trying to say or doesn't really know what the concluding moral. If you like of of this story is how what how did would you approach that with one of your clients?
1: So the first thing that I do is I read what they have. Sure. Um, and I pretty much at this point only take people on if they've they've got to have like at least 30 or 40,000 words yeah. of a manuscript. Yeah. And usually there's a germ of something in there that has two or three things. Generally, in the people that come to me, they, they often have so many ideas and they're like, I just they just don't know which one is right. the one okay. that they should choose.
0: Okay. Do you think that really deep down, in, in, in with most of your clients in that position, the answer is there, and it's just, you're just helping them to find it? So the one thing that they're trying to say is actually oh, it's absolutely,
1: because a lot of times they don't realize that you know they're trying to they've got three possible themes, and so my job as editor is to say like okay, so I see that you could go in this direction, mm. this direction, or this direction. Which one of those like feels most compelling to you Mm. which one are you most excited about and just kind of help them figure out which which direction they want to go and then also look because like a lot of times like certain elements of the story will suggest one theme and then other elements will suggest another and in a really tightly crafted novel you want every single thing to all be pointing in the same direction
0: yeah yeah no that makes sense so what about people who, they think they, they're pretty sure they know what this novel's about and what the, the punchline, as it were, is and what the moral is, but they just can't execute it. I think, to use the word that you said.
1: Yeah, so there's two levels that I look at execution. So one is, can they write a single scene in which something shifts from beginning to end? And so when I mean by shift is like, there has to be a change in life circumstances. And this all, I should say, comes from the story grid and Sean Coyne's work. Mm. And so shifts in life circumstances are things like going from being in danger to safe. Or okay. if in a love story, it would be something like the moment the two people meet. So before the scene, they haven't met. At the so, end of the scene, they've they, met.
0: They met. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there's no, that makes some sense.
1: kind of spark. Yeah. So that's like a, at one level. So I look first at the specific scenes because scenes are the basic fundamental skill for every novelist can you write a scene that has that kind of shift in it where mm-hmm. the characters have to make a choice and then there's what the story grid calls the global story what really drew me to the story grid was that not only do you have to have a scene that shifts you also have to have a sequence that has a shift from beginning to end so a group of scenes that altogether that might be something like on the train to hogwarts is a sequence um Uh, okay so those have to have a beginning to end shift and then each act um so if you split your novel up into three acts each of those has to have a shift from beginning to end and then from beginning to end of your entire book the whole global story that has to have a shift and a lot of people that can write good scenes get stuck on how to do that for larger units Mm. of
0: story So there has to be these levels of change, don't there? Yeah. And that
1: is really, really, really tricky to do.
0: Hmm. Now, I know you are a StoryGrid certified development editor. So can you tell us a little bit about what that actually means? What what the StoryGrid system is and how do you apply it to your work?
1: Yeah. So the story Grid is a system that was created by Sean Coyne. Um, he is an editor with over 25 years of experience in the publishing mm-hmm. industry. He's worked with all kinds of famous writers and he has developed a system for basically helping writers create the best possible or most likely to be a bestseller <laughs> <laughs> kinds of thing and so he's he's created a pretty comprehensive system for all of the ways that stories need to fit together in sort of like interlocking like those little russian doll kinds of things okay
0: it sounds from what you said as if there has to be these kind of concentric developments going on i suppose there's one for the whole book and then there's different acts and and then down from there so yes it 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 sounds like it's quite difficult to do that uh, certainly to start with, if you're a writer <laughs> and you're not used to doing that kind of thing, that sounds like quite a challenge. If I decide to adopt that approach, what are the kinds of things that I need to think about, perhaps in the planning stage or when I'm beginning to write?
1: So the first thing is that you want to know your genre. And genre doesn't... So there's genres for marketing purposes. And then there's story grid has a different set of genres which actually um, okay. Sean got from Robert McKee. I believe they're in his book story. And so Sean has like a five leaf clover and the one leaf of that clover that is the leaf that is the leaf that everybody talks about <laughs> when we talk about <laughs> genre is what he calls the content genres. And there are 12 of those. Right, And those are things like action, crime, horror, love, okay. um, so thriller. So, the things that we
0: think about when we think about genre, I suppose, aren't they? Yes. Those, they're yes. familiar, yeah.
1: Yes. Okay. And what those do is they define how your protagonist arcs through the story. And when you know how your protagonist arcs through the story, so each one of those genres has what Sean calls obligatory scenes and conventions. Okay. And so that means that if you're writing a thriller, there are a set of, I think it's about six scenes that you have to deliver in your thriller. And the most important one of those scenes is the hero at the mercy of the villain. And so I can tell you (laughs) that what needs to happen in that particular scene is that whatever like special abilities your hero has that are like unique to them. Yes. They have to be at their height at the hero, at the mercy of the villain scene. And that is what they use to destroy or outwit or however, defeat that villain.
0: That's interesting. You're implying, I think from that, that that has to come towards the end. Is that, is that true or is that not necessarily true? Um,
1: It's, it's probably going to be in around like the seventy seventy to eighty percent mark. Okay. You can yeah. play around with exactly where it goes, and that I mean that depends on many, many factors, but it's definitely not something that is going to show up in the first twenty pages no. of your book. No. It's much more likely to be in the the latter. Part of your book,
0: okay, and I know we haven't got sort of hours to go through this. It's fascinating stuff. Just, <laughs> you mentioned the uh, the kind of five leaf clover. Can you tell us very briefly what some of the other aspects are? If that, if there's yes. genre as we know genre, what else? What else is there?
1: Yeah, so um, I I have my five leaf clover sitting next to me, oh, and <laughs> so, so we just started talking about the content yes. genre. Yeah. And then the other four leafs are time. So this one is easy. It's just um short, medium, and long. And for novels or screenplays, that's we're in the long. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> short stories would be, you know, short, novellas <laughs> would be middle. Um, so that's another leaf. Another one is reality. So fantasy, realism, science fiction, absurdism, we would define that in a different way. That's not something that determines how your character arcs that's much more about the setting okay um and then there is the style which is like is it a comic book is it a comedy is it a drama is it a series of letters or a diary those kinds of things sure
0: sure okay
1: and then the final one is structure and so um he calls them mini plot arch plot and antiplot but basically it's are you telling a story about a single person who has a hero's journey are you telling a story where there's an ensemble plot or are you telling an experimental story in which structure does not matter and you probably are going to have a really hard time finding an editor
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that was a taste of reality at the end of that wasn't it yes <laughs> Wow this whole thing sounds like it would appeal to people who who are drawn to a more systematic approach yes. to the writing so so there is a structure here there is there is a format there is a system
1: yeah and what we know about like from science and from there's people that have studied the history of folktales and like the ones that have survived, they have the same story structure where something Mm. shifts from beginning to end. Mm. You know, each little scene has a shift and the whole story together has a shift. Like this is not something that Sean Coyne made up. This is something that lots of people have discovered through Mm. the course of human history.
0: So he's he's drawing to attention and and making a system out of something that's been in existence for a long time and a a tried and trusted way of creating stories.
1: Yes. Okay. Yeah, like he's just done a remarkable job of laying out the specifics of how things work and how you can apply it to your own story.
0: So how do you uh, help somebody who is struggling with their confidence as a writer?
1: So I should say I'm not a psychologist no. <laughs> or a psychiatrist <laughs> or counselor. Um, but so some aspects of confidence I can help people with. Mm-hmm. And that is so sometimes we don't have confidence because the work that we're producing we know isn't our best work. And so oh, where I okay. can help them is I can reflect back to them what they already have and are really, really great at. Mm. And then I can also help them improve on some of the other parts that are, are sort of contributing sure. to the confidence.
0: Okay. Now, one of the other things that you specifically offer critique on is what you call the hook. And I wondered if you could just explain what the hook is and why it's important. How can we be really good at as writers in creating the hook in our story.
1: You have to give someone something that catches their attention and that makes them want to continue reading.
0: Okay. Can That's you give it. can you give us a a kind of example from from literature of of that?
1: Yeah, so if you go to Amazon and mm-hmm. read any of the pages that are selling best-selling books, you will see examples of the hook. That's what is written on the back of every Ah, okay is, you know, um I'm sitting next to a pile of books. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Quick grab one. You,
1: I guess let's say, well, let's let's actually do it. So like the hook for The Hunger Games is there is a society where children are forced to compete to the death. Will this girl survive? Yeah. <laughs> Like, you want to know if she survives, yeah. don't you?
0: <laughs> so I guess the dynamic is, if I'm the reader, I'm thinking, wow, what, what, I, I want to know what happens to her, don't I? I I've, I've identified with the character. I've identified with the environment that you've just painted a very brief picture of. And I want to know what happens next. One of the th- things that I, in my podcast, one of the things I've spent a lot of time talking about, well, three areas, actually, uh, and that I have I find I end up talking to writers about the most is um, story structure, character and setting so i wondered if we could just briefly for each of those areas just explore what you think are the most important say one or two lessons
1: yeah i think that the the biggest thing is having a really specific idea of what you want to say and writing in a genre that supports what you want to say so, like, if you're writing a story about, say, respect and shame, like, mm-hmm. a lot of times those stories are performance stories. So that's, um, mm. you know, the story about ice skaters. Are they going to, you know, win the respect of the crowd? Or are they going to fall on their face? And so knowing, like, what what human need drives your story can really help you choose a genre that will help you just tell that story <laughs>
0: mm. so is it for example this is quite a sim- simple example but maybe it applies i don't know so if it's if if you want to explore the issue of human love kind of romantic human love then writing in the romance genre is is the way to go it's, it's going to be the best genre to try and explore and examine that that issue
1: Yeah. And I should say that in romance, you actually could have, um, you could have a Western story where there's also a love subplot. You could have, um, you could have lots of other types of stories, but if what the core of, if you have a theme or an idea that what you want to convey with your story is something about like love prevails when, X happens, Mm. then you should be writing a love story the way that the story grid defines it. And the way that the story grid defines it is, so instead of having a hero at the mercy of the villain, you will have a proof of love scene. And in that scene, one of your characters is going to do something totally out of character that is going to show how much they care about the other
0: love interest. Okay. So the other thing, or the next one that I was talking about was character. So what, what do you think, from all of your experience are the same one or two most important things to remember around character and character development in stories?
1: Yeah. So I think that the, the biggest one is, is I feel like I'm kind of a broken record is like, what is it that your character really wants? And then Mm. at the beginning of your story, your character is going to have tragic coping mechanisms that prevent them from getting <laughs> oh, what <wow>. they want <laughs> and the better that you can understand like why those tragic coping mechanisms exist and what it is that they need to actually get what they truly truly want the better your story will be mm. um the way that sean says it in the the story grid is like characters have wants and then they have needs yes. and so their wants are sort of like the superficial things that they want yeah. and then the needs are those deeper human yeah. needs yeah and their what i call their tragic coping mechanisms <laughs> are the things that think they that make them think they want their superficial thing instead of what it is that they really need.
0: That's interesting. So actually, they might go after the wrong thing to start with, almost, thinking it, But it, and it's just what they want in a superficial way, but the story is about what they really need.
1: Yes, yeah, and in fact, thing, they? they probably in most stories um, they probably are going to go after the thing that is not what they really need but you you as the writer just need to get them moving in the correct direction so that they have the opportunity to learn the lessons so that they can find what it is that they truly need
0: hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. I like that because that that sounds like a journey of discovery, self-discovery for the character. They're they're finding out something about themselves, which then allows them to get that thing which they really, really need, I suppose. And finally then setting. So I'm talking about like the environment that you create and the setting that you create. Is there one or two things particularly you think is important in terms of setting and and environment for, for writers?
1: Um, I would say the number one thing for setting is that it has to serve your larger purpose. But if you wanted to make a statement about like privacy, then the best way to do that is to show a world where you have none.
0: Ah, okay, yeah, that makes sense.
1: And so I'm trying to think if there's other thing like if you want to do stories about justice, the you know that it, it's a way to do that is to show a world where there isn't justice.
0: I guess if you do that, you then You've then created the environment for your protagonist to, to stand out, to shine. I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of another example of this. I suppose there are, there are plenty of examples, I suppose, or there's plenty of stories where the protagonist, often it's a female protagonist, I think breaks a cultural barrier that is mm-hmm. constricting and achieves something or, sh- or does something, um, and, and shows that, that she has the purpose and the will and the strength to transcend mere, you know, current expectations and do something different or something more
1: yes what you should think about your setting is not like oh this would be interesting is how can i use my setting to help me make my like what i want the reader to take Mm, away from this even stronger
0: yeah yeah that's good that's interesting actually yeah so i think we're coming towards the end of our chat now and i just wondered if there was were any other key pieces of information or advice that you wanted to offer people that we perhaps haven't touched on in in our conversation so far
1: yeah, I would love to talk a little bit about the difference between a finished piece and um, and when you're working on it.
0: Yeah. So,
1: true. like, um, the StoryGrid has, like, all of these ways of analyzing things that are done. And there's now um, another podcast that other StoryGrid editors are doing where they analyze completed movies. And, you know, they'll tell you what all of the obligatory scenes are doing mm. Uh, And the conventions. And when you see how complex (laughs) those (laughs) stories are, it can be really demotivating when you're at home, you know, typing away in Scrivener, (laughs) trying to work on your story. Yeah. And so what I wanted to talk about is just like when you are writing yourself like the process is really messy your first draft is not going to have all of these things nailed down the goal of your first draft is to figure out the direction that you are going in it is not to actually arrive at the destination
0: Okay that's interesting yeah that's uh, and that's that's just the first draft job is to just figure out that direction okay so what what would you do then after that if that's if you take that forward if you do get through your first draft and you've got a sense of where you're going what what might you want to do in the second and subsequent drafts
1: yes so and when i say direction what i mean is like identifying your theme what is the the content genre that you're writing to how does your character change from beginning to end those kinds of things in your first draft your your job is just to get an idea and you just want to continue with every round of drafts, what you want to do is try and get those things aligned more closely. Basically, we want to say like okay, so these people are here, you know, in the next round, can I make the setting a little bit different so that it makes this change that the character is doing pop out a little bit more. If you get to the end of your first draft and you're like, "Oh my gosh, this has like 3 themes and I don't know what to do." You should you should call an editor. <laughs> <laughs> because that is what developmental editors are here to do is to help you talk through those kinds of things of like i have all of this going on i don't know which direction i should go
0: yeah yeah help (laughs) (laughs) which is a great kind of segue into my final question which is if if people are looking at this stuff and going help and they've heard what you've said and we've had that conversation and they, they, they want your help. How would they get in touch with you? How can they, how can they find you to help them sort out their story?
1: Yeah, so the best place is my website, which is com, And Lori is L-O-R-I, uh, and that's Puma is P-U-M-A. And what you should know is I do a free sample edit for anybody. So if you go to my work with me page, there are links mm. there so that you oh, can okay. sign up. So if you think that I might be a person to help you, you can, you can go there and we can chat.
0: So for your free sample edit, what is there like you want a, a certain number of words or a chapter or how do, how does that work? I
1: believe where it's set at right now is like fi- the first 5,000 words is ah, okay. what I take.
0: Okay. So people can send you 5,000 words and you'll have a look at that and that, that you'll do that for free just yep. to see where they're at. So
1: I will take a look at that. We'll have a phone conversation to sure. talk about it. And I try and give everybody like a homework assignment of like, okay, this is what I think you should do to... Yeah take the next steps on your journey, sure, even if sure. you don't want to continue working with me.
0: Okay. well, that's cool. And that, and that website again was.
1: Lori Okay,
0: great. Okay. Well, Lori, thank you so much for your time this evening having a having our chat we've had a really good chat um and covered a lot of stuff and it's been great to talk to you
1: well it's been my pleasure talking to you as well andy thank you so much for having me on your show well
0: thank thank you for for agreeing to come and be a guest it's been great to talk to you okay thanks bye-bye
1: okay bye-bye
0: thank you for listening to the creative writers tool belt podcast if you want to find out more about the podcast or me just go to my website it's andrewjchamberlain.com